Always an interesting week when we're talking sports, but you know, I think tonight we'll be able to really dig into a couple of sports that we don't always get to talk a lot about. Yeah, I gotta tell you, you know, I mean, the Masters was uh, going to be going into the week kind of the thing of the week, and that a little bit fizzled out just because of the way that it played out, and it was a, a one man show uh, essentially. Uh, you know, we have the NBA playoffs, but was there really a playoff push here at the end by anybody? Not really. We kind of knew that. It was just kind of a matter of, of positioning. Hockey's getting a little interesting, right? Uh, the Knights are getting a little interesting, but we still have some time there. And and suddenly, all of a sudden, it looks like we can talk about it all, Tim, but baseball seems to be the main focus. And all of a sudden, baseball is kind of on the display, and, and this is what it does. We forget. We're, we're three days in. And we forget that it was a delayed start. We forget about the labor negotiations and people just kind of concentrate on a little bit of baseball. We always talk about overreaction on this show. You know, the the first feeling you get when you see something or, or witness something. And I think for baseball purposes, we'll start tonight with baseball, that already over on social media, you see a lot of the, the uh, so-called expert writers already overreaction on some of what we've seen. Like you said, it's been three, what, three, four games for some of these teams. And yes, it's the first weekend of, of Major League Baseball for the 2022 season. But already, Tommy, a lot of, uh-oh, what's going on here? What's going on there? You know, just just relax. we got 160 games to go. Yeah, you know, I, I already hear it from, uh, I, I've heard Cardinal fans freak out already, you know, Dodger fans are already upset. Well, you're not going to win 162. Well, that was kind of the goal. <laughs> you know, um, Everybody's kind of uh, losing their minds after just a few games. And it, it is pretty funny. In baseball, normally, it takes so long, and this is why you can make money on baseball, it takes so long for the public to kind of realize what a team is. You know, all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. Oh, wow, this guy's good. Oh, wait, this team could be, could be good. Uh, but early in the season, people treat it like as if it's football. You lose two, three games in a row. Uh, oh, boy, you know what? Let's trade everybody. Let's shake some things up because this is bad. It's just not reality. So I sent you I sent you a text earlier tonight. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. And it had to do with the opening series for the – the Anaheim Angels who went one and three against Houston on their home field to uh, start the season, Tom. And I'll, I'll give you the, the numbers and tell me not to jump off the bridge yet because Showtime, two for 17, Trout was three for 13, Rendon, one for nine, and Joe Adele, who they're really expecting a lot of things up from this year, zero for nine with seven strikeouts. Am I safe, Tom? Is it okay? It was Houston that we should have expected this. No, I I think you have to take each guy on a on a case by case basis, and it's very difficult because it's the first series. Uh, the the numbers look ugly. 
and you you group teams into you know who they're with, right? Uh, but you have to take this on a case by case basis. I look at Mike Trout and I go, yeah, I don't care what he does right now. I mean, it's kind of extended spring training, and he got a hold of one to dead center field. He's going to hmm. be fine, you know. Trout, I don't worry about. Anthony Rendon, to be honest with you, I don't worry about. First of all, I don't think he's ever going to put an MVP numbers up again, but I, I, I don't worry about Anthony Rendon. He's a professional hitter. You could see him getting good contact on some balls. Okay. Joe Adele, I'm a little concerned with. I'm concerned with Joe Adele because he now is starting to bring up that track record that crushes AAA pitching, just can't quite hit Major League pitching. And not only that, he can't hit breaking balls. The breaking balls are just eating him alive. And then you got Otani. Here's the thing, uh, you know, the Otani hate from me is just based on reality. You know that I like him, Tim, right? I mean, me and you have talked personally off the air. I've always liked Otani. But the problem is, is that the reality is Otani last year was a 250-something hitter, right? I mean, so if Otani has an MVP season where everything clicks and everything was right and, you know, he was he was this unbelievable talent and he still barely – could not hit 260, right? I mean, he just couldn't do it. What if he goes into a little slump? What if he has a little bit of a back step this year, which I expect, I don't think anybody could have, could expect multiple MVP years in a row. You know, you always just take a, a second uh, and, and take a step back. If Otani takes a step back, what does he become, Tim? A 235, a 240 hitter, right? Maybe, maybe he has a little bit of a slump, but he's a 225 or 230 hitter. That's not far-fetched to say. So you have to expect stretches like this. I, I expect Otani to struggle a little bit this year. I did. I expect Joe Adele to take some time to kind of uh, come about. Where I, I think we get crazy is when we're grouping everyone together and saying, well, I'm worried about Trout. I'm not. Or I'm worried about Rendon. No, no, I'm not. But the other two, yeah, there's some legitimate concerns. So it's a case-by-case basis. With Otani, you just said it. If, if you take away – just a certain little thing. Take, just take the pitching aspect out of it completely. As a player, or an everyday player, right, Tom? You just said 230. He could hit 35, 40 dogs on the ribbies. So other than that, uh, I mean, we can name a lot of guys. That's Joey Gallo, Patty Dunn, and Stats. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Joey Gallo, Tim, um, I don't think he'll become. You know, I don't think he's an Adam Gunn waiting. Plus, he's got a little bit of speed, you know. I don't think he's that kind of player. Uh, but but that's the thing. I mean, you look at everything going right. Everything goes right, and the guy hits 260. That's a concern. And, you know, I'm still not out of the woods with Otani as far as uh, the injury bug goes. Yeah, I, I want him to stay healthy. He can stay healthy. He showed he can stay healthy. But I'm not still out of the woods for that either, Tim. I think to me, not only the slump and not only the bad batting average, but I think you also have to keep in the back of your head that I'm not sure if Otani's going to go, you know, play 150 plus games. He seems like a guy that is going to perennial be just a little bit banged up while you're pitching, while you're hitting, while you're running. By the way, he runs too, you know. He seems like a guy that you're always going to have to worry about. All right. Is he two DL stints this year, three DL stints, or are we looking at him missing a month? I mean, he seems like that player. Right. Let's kind of peep around the American League. We'll start with with your boys in, in uh, New York, Tom. They finished this uh, 2-1 over Boston, and really they were, 
you know, a hit away from sweeping this series. So I, I think you have to be happy with the opening weekend. Yeah, I'm very happy. I, I didn't like Cole, you know, getting out to a the, the kind of start that he got out to. But real happy about Severino. He was the one guy, you know, I even did my, my preview show. He's the one guy that I said, you know, uh, Severino could be the answer here. You know, if he looks good, Tim, he could very easily slot into that number two slot. You know, a guy like Montgomery turned into that three. I mean, th- this could be that kind of rotation. And I know everyone's concentrating on what the Yankees didn't get, right? What the Yankees didn't get was Carlos Correa. What the Yankees didn't get was Trevor Story. What the Yankees didn't get was this and that. But what the Yankees did get, I liked also. And I've said this before. It's sort of like, you know, going out there, Tim, and wishing for a present and wishing for this and wishing for that and hoping for this and hoping for that. Now, you get a lot of great presents, but you don't get the one that you, you want. Well, some of the other presents actually want might wind up being a better present. You know, this can be that kind of situation. I think the Yankees are going to be fine. I pick them to win the division, but it depends on what your expectations are. Do I think the Yankees are winning the World Series this year? I don't know. I know that a lot of people do. I don't. Do I think the Yankees have enough to play really well when everything's clicking? Stanton's healthy. Judge is healthy. Uh, Severino comes back and call. Yeah, I think they have enough to win the division. So I'm pleasantly surprised with what I've seen, but it's not completely surprised because I sort of expected this. And really the Yanks, they, they, they opened the season, you know, with that, we missed the two weeks. So right off the bat, you get Boston and now you have t- Tommy, a, a set with Toronto coming in. And that's a uh, team that went two and one this, this weekend as well, taking advantage of that. Texas pitching staff, but you know they we saw some we saw some glitches there in, in that newly formed pitching rotation that Toronto has. So Boston or excuse me, New York only gives up 11 runs over the weekend. Toronto 23. So we get uh, some AL East action back to back for your Yanks. Yeah, and the Yankees also play not only back to back against division rivals. They also play 10 games in 10 days because of the rainout to start off the season. So the Yankees are going to be tested really, real soon, real, uh, really quickly here, especially with the pitching staff that isn't as deep as you think and or want them to be. I mean, Garrett Cole isn't going to give you innings early in the season. Severino was only went four. So all of a sudden, the Yankees pitching staff is going to be a little bit tested later on because you're going 10 and 10. But here's the thing. The Yankees have an opportunity to really jump out to a really big start. You know, two, two games out of three for Boston, beautiful. Now you have an opportunity to take two or three from Toronto. I'm not telling you to sweep, just take two or three. And that's the beauty of having that tough early schedule. You know, no offense to him, but the Orioles are scheduled later on down the pike. So if you can jump out to a big lead, steal a series early on in the season, it matters just as much as September games do. It matters yeah. in the standings just as much. So get out to that big lead. Yeah, you got to look at the Orioles as that that uh, the, the easy wins, right, Tom? They, they scored four runs this weekend against Tampa Bay in what will obviously be a 100-loss season for Baltimore again. How about th- how about this stat? If, if I told you that we played three games, we scored 18 runs in those three games, Tom, but we finished one and two for the weekend, crazy when you look at that, just the, uh, the ugly numbers there for Kansas City and Cleveland. But, the, you know, essentially Cleveland took advantage in one game end up losing two or three to Kansas City, but Chicago there in the central, they take two of three from the Tigers 
and only gave up eight runs, Tommy, in those three games. Yeah, you know, I look at Kansas City and Cleveland today. I talked about this on my morning show at, at SGN, and I said, guys, I was I do a weather report every morning. There were 24-mile-per-hour winds going out to near dead center. It was a little bit left center, but basically dead center in Kansas City. Tip. Yeah, I, you knew runs were going to be scored. Yeah, I mean, you knew all of a sudden, wait a minute, I looked up at 1230, and I said, wow, this weather report is absolutely crazy. It, you know, Kansas City is a, a, an interesting team. I look at them this year and I go, they are going to be that run, run, run team. Hey, look, Mondesi could steal 50-plus. Merrifield's going to steal 30-plus. Bobby Witt could steal 30-plus. The entire team is built to run, to put pressure on teams. But there will be blowouts like this. They have a weak bullpen. They have some weak starters up and down the lineup that can get blasted. And they do have some some guys that you'll look at and you just go, yeah, you're not a major leaguer. I, I mean, you're, you're just not. You know what I mean? You shouldn't be a major leaguer. But they're going to be playing – because Kansas City is Kansas City, I think with Kansas City, it's all about hoping for the growth. You know, just hope that you can run into some growth. Because I think if they keep it close, Tim, and it it's a tight kind of series, and it's a tight kind of year, and all of a sudden you're going into August and you're going, wow, within a couple of games of 500, I think it's a very successful season. As for the Guardians. Yeah, I don't know what to say about them. Look, I didn't think they were going to be very good last year. They were basically a 500 team and surprising me. This year, it, it's Ramirez, it's Bieber, and then it's seemingly everyone else on the roster. And, hey, they're putting up some runs that surprising me. I, I didn't think much of Cleveland. I'm not trying not to overreact. And I said, look, I think they're an under 500 team. Would it shock me if everything went together? No, because you have a potential MVP candidate on that team. In Ramirez, and you have a potential Cy Young candidate in Bieber, who, by the way, did look pretty good. But the underlying metrics of Bieber, Tim, be very scared about that. The underlying metrics of Shane Bieber were showing that he didn't have a lot of life on his fastball. He was down about two or three ticks for his fastball, and his um, his spin rate was down a little bit. So while you know the numbers up the, up top for Cleveland, okay, we feel a little bit good. That's the way to get out of a series. Oh, great. Be a little bit scared about Bieber because this team will go nowhere if he isn't on point. And when I say on point, I mean ace-like. If you listen to the archive show over at LVSportsNetwork.com, last week we did our Major League Baseball preview. And when we talked about the American League Central, you and I agreed that you could put the Royals and the Guardians and the Tigers and the Twins kind of in a, in a group and, and – two or three of those teams are going to be right around the 500 mark or right under. We all knew that maybe Chicago White Sox to win the division was the easiest bet on the board. And after three games, Tommy, yes, they're two and one. But what I noticed from them in their, their series victory over Detroit this weekend, eight runs allowed. And, and, you know, you start talking about the pitching and we went from Giolito to Dylan Cease to Michael Kopik today. Uh, obviously Lynn will be back at some point. And you still have veterans in Vince Velasquez and Dallas Keiko who've been there for, for a minute as well coming up in this series with Seattle this week. You know, that that's what it's going to come down to is that who, what pitching staff is going to be able to keep up with Chicago. None of them can. And you know what I liked out of the White Sox this weekend as well was that uh, Anderson and Robert and Abreu, the, the core of that top of the order, they're all hitting the ball right now, Tom. Yeah, my worry with the White Sox now – 
and I had said this, and I did this during my preview. You guys go check out my preview at uh, Tom Barton Sports over on Twi- uh, on on YouTube. And the one thing I said, I said, you know, I got I had the White Sox for the last couple of weeks. I designed the White Sox to win this division, to win the American League. But I worried about Lance Lynn. I worried out loud. I said, you know, Lance Lynn went down for a for a month here. I am concerned that Lance Lynn being out could be a problem. I don't know how far the White Sox could go without Lance Lynn. And what happens here, Tim? Giolito is now going on the DL. So now all of a sudden, a thin White Sox starting rotation. When you're talking about innings, you got two innings eaters. Both of them are going to be down. You could talk about him being a co-ace. Yeah, sure, you want to talk about co-aces. Both of them are down. Now, this could be a minor injury, Tim, and you're in a division where it does not matter, right? But all of a sudden, you start to see some holes in that White Sox team because when you look at it and you squint and you go, wait a minute, no Lynn, no Giolito. Yeah, you hope that it's a bump in the road. You hope this is a small DL stint, but that is a scary thing for White Sox fans. The best thing about opening – well, it's actually, it's become like – it seems like the first two or three weeks now as we get a lot of day games – uh, during the beginning of the season, and obviously I've vegetated a lot this weekend watching these games, Tommy. And out in the West, we saw the Astros take apart the Angels to take a, a quick 3-1 division lead there. But what about Seattle, 2-1, 90-win um, 90, 90 team last year? Are, are they capable of being a surprise, or was that just because, they, you know, early on they're taking on the Twins? And then I look at Texas and Oakland, I think you and I both were spot on is that Oakland's going to be bad and Texas will be slightly better than Oakland. Yeah, look, Texas is going to run into some wins just with that lineup. And you look at Texas and you say, yeah, they can hit. I mean, they absolutely can hit. Uh, just just adding Seager alone would have been enough, and they added some some big-time bats there. They're going to be able to run into some wins because of their bats, but their pitching staff is still weak. I don't like that bullpen, and that is eventually going to catch up with you. When you are talking about an Oakland team, it wouldn't surprise me to see this team losing 100 games. And I, I, that is exactly what is going to happen. Now, here's the thing with Oakland. They do have a one-two punch at the start, at, at starters. And that'll keep you in some games early on this year, right? I mean, early on this year, if you pitch really well, but eventually you're going to get to that 3-4-5 starter. And then you're going to get to a bullpen that will be eventually taxed. Uh, Oakland's going to look worse as the year goes on. As far as Seattle goes, I didn't buy into Seattle last year, Tim, and it burned me. I didn't buy into Seattle this year. I'm not sure if it's going to burn me. I look at what they can do, and it's just uninspiring. And when I say uninspiring, I think they're going to win 85 games or so. I just don't think that we're talking about Seattle as a World Series contender. And that's a big jump. And that's where people kind of have them, though, right? I mean, when you talk about Seattle and you're talking about the upside, people are talking about World Series. I don't see it like that. I just can't take that leap now. So can they win 85 games? Absolutely. Can it be a playoff team? Sure, they can. Do I think they're winning the division? I think they can. Sure. You know, so you want to call me an Astros, I mean, a, a Seattle hater. It's kind of the same thing as the Astros to me. I think all of those things are plausible. Can the Astros be a playoff team? Yeah, I think they are. Can they win the division? Sure. But I don't look at either one of them as a World Series team because I do see the holes right now on the current roster that they both have. So before we jump over to the National League side, let me ask you this. With with the delay, right, we had a delay, and, and even though they, they claim they got a subtle, a supplemental amount of time to to get these teams ready, I, I know you've noticed as well that pitch counts are lower 
and starters are getting, aren't being stretched out. They're, they're going like minimum innings here, Tommy. It has to have something to do with that early in the season, right? Well, yes, absolutely. It, it's a truncated um, spring training, we'll call it. So you expect starting pitchers to – most of them are going 75 innings. That's okay. That's a regular start to the year. Usually you go uh, 75 uh, pitchers, I mean. Usually in the start of the year you go 80, 85. So it's it's not that far apart. But you see a lot of these starting pitchers kind of going four innings, not even getting in position to get the win. That'll change. Two, three starts, that'll change. And going into this weekend, Bob Nightingale put this out there on Twitter. This is uh, real interesting. Going into this weekend – uh, Bob Nightingale said, what happened to the pitchers struggling with short springs? There had been 34 games at that point played. 36 teams scored three or fewer runs. So it looks like the offenses are having a problem just as much as the pitching staffs did. Yeah, no, 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 I 100% agree with that. You see a lot of the offensives are struggling. And we might as well talk about one because I know you and I have, uh, you know, we have some, we have some coin riding on this team and, Let's, let's face it, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers offensively not hitting nine runs in three games. But guess what, Tom? They're not pitching well either. 18 runs allowed in the three games. They did get the win today to to save a little face in that series against Chicago. But, look, Milwaukee's off to a tough start, as, as we've seen a lot of these teams are. Just uh, What about that, that opening series with Milwaukee? Other than the blowout game, it was uh, more of a situation that they just couldn't get the runs in when they were on base. They had a lot of opportunities in the game. Number one, to score some runs, they just couldn't do it. Or two, excuse me. I'm going to look at it the other way around. I, I disagree a little bit. Mm-hmm. The batting is going to be worrisome. But I think that we knew that. I think we came into Milwaukee and said, there's going to be times where Milwaukee's offense is just going to bother us. There's going to be times where, you know, Christian Yelich is going to go through a slump and Willie Adams is going to have some strikeout problems. There's going to be some times where that offense doesn't look good. And I'm willing to accept that. If I go in on Milwaukee, which I did, okay, I go. I have Milwaukee going to the World Series here, right? If I go in on Milwaukee, then I got to go in knowing, well, the, the offense may frustrate me over the course of the year. But Burns and Woodruff struggling, that that that's alarming. That's it's scary. I know that you wrote me yesterday and you said the umps were squeezing Woodruff. Yes, uh, they were. And Burns in game one just didn't have it. I mean, he started off the game, just didn't have it. Here's the thing. Milwaukee is not talented enough, Tim. For them to just not have it, Milwaukee's not talented yeah. enough for them to go through these stretches. They, they just aren't. They they are a hundred percent reliant upon their pitching staff. So if their pitching staff, ah, you know what, we just didn't have a, a you know a good week. Well, then you probably didn't win a game this week. I mean, that is the reality of the Milwaukee Brewers. They are not an offense that could carry you. They're not a team that that you can go. Oh, okay, you know what, different things are working. No. They are 100% reliant upon this pitching staff. And Woodruff didn't look good, and Burns didn't look good. The only thing I could say, look, when Burns didn't look good, I go, okay, no big deal, chalk it up to one. Woodruff didn't look good. Yeah, this is alarming. Now, even today, you know, it didn't look exactly great coming out of the gate. And you go, Peralta, okay, you know, he looked okay, but he got he got tagged for some runs early on. The only thing that I could say there is as much applause as we put and as much credit as we give to the pitching staff uh, coaching staff of the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, you know what? In this case, they were not prepared for the start of the season. Maybe it's because of the short spring. Whatever it is, those starters were not prepared for the start of the season. I'm going to watch them go through the rotation three times. Next time, 
I want an improvement. All three guys can't just look bad. But that third time around, if we're looking at that third time around and we got three mediocre starts from Burns, three from Woodruff, three from Peralta, uh, now all of a sudden I'm getting alarmed. It's early. I'm willing to chalk it up as it being early. But it does show, show the flaws in this Milwaukee team that I think we all knew were there. I think a good recipe to getting over this this uh, slight little cold they have, Tommy, is that they they play the Orioles in the next three games and Burns will get a start in this series. Yeah, that's uh, this is a <laughs> really kind of, you know, flex your muscles, right? I mean, this is a chance, yeah. even on the road, this is a chance for Milwaukee to go out there and go, okay, it was the Cubs, it was series one, no big deal. I'm looking at Burns for game two, Tim, and I'm having the same mindset that I had for him in game one. I think he comes in against Baltimore. I think he has a huge start. I think he completely shuts them down. But it wouldn't shock me to turn around and see him turn around and and struggle a little bit. Would it really shock you to see, you know, Burns go out there and say five innings, three earned runs, six Ks? You know, that's a mediocre start. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that kind of mediocre start if we're willing to say it's going to get better from there talked about the yankees what about the mets there in new york tommy three and one after seemed like a pretty easy series against washington the nationals were able to save from the sweep today but the mets off to a three and one start the phillies two and one as they beat up on the a's this weekend as well yeah look i like what i've seen from the phillies um the mets it's it's hard to gauge right now because with the Mets, everything comes back to Scherzer was banged up, missed the opening day start. We don't have DeGrom. Okay, how do you really evaluate a team like that? It's difficult. Mets, okay, they are what they are. I was impressed with Philly. I'm impressed with Philly because where we do look at the Philadelphia Phillies and you say, I expect Nola to get better. I expect their pitching to get a little bit better. They are jumping out of the chute and looking good offensively. Castellanos already looks good. And this is a team that has to rely upon hitting. As much as I just said about Milwaukee, yeah, Nola and Wheeler, that pitching staff looks good, but they have to get their wins. And I think that the confidence level, Tim, you know, for me, that is really a key here. I think the confidence level has to be there for them. And the confidence level being there is a situation where you go, yeah, you know, let's get Philly out to a little lead. And then all of a sudden the Phillies can start saying, okay, here, here we go. We're going to play this type, type of style. The Mets are banged up right now. Um, Atlanta has all those off-the-field issues, which I'd like to get into later on with Acuna and Freddie Freeman and whatnot. This is the time to get out to that little early lead and leave this week, leave this month, and take it in increments. Hey, we're a first-place team after this week. We're a first-place team after this month. Here we go. We just continue to pile up wins. That's what they need to do. Orioles, A's, Nationals, Pirates, Diamondbacks. Could we have five 100 lost teams this season? Oh, yeah, that, that that's a good question. I didn't I didn't look at it like that, but yeah, absolutely. It, you got okay. Wait, Orioles, yes. A's, absolutely. Diamondbacks, mm, I think the Diamondbacks could could run into 65 wins or so, but they're going to be close. Who else did you throw in that mix? Pirates, Nationals. Pirates are definitely going to be a 100-loss team. Nationals, probably a 100-loss team. Yeah, I'm going to say four get there. I'm not going to say all five do. 
Maybe the Nats get over and they're able to sniff it. Maybe Baltimore wins 64 five, five games. Maybe Arizona is that team. I'm going to say four teams, but yeah, we got a shot. I didn't, I, I had not thought about that. Tim. We got a shot to have some bad. And it is funny. We're putting together these absolutely stacked lineups. Uh, you start to look at the Dodgers lineup, which is just overflowing riches. You start to look at the Yankees lineup where DJ LeMay or Glaber Torres is being benched every day. I mean, you know, you start to look at Toronto's lineup, which is overflowing. The White Sox lineup, the Angels lineup. You have these dynamic lineups and you're going, well, the talent pool in Major League Baseball is not big enough to control, you know, all these five, six, seven, just enormous lineups. That's because we have what we now have is we have elite teams and then we have pure garbage teams. There's not a lot of teams in the middle here, Tim. So, yeah, I you're right. We we could have five teams lose 100 games. It's possible. Yep. It, it's right there. And, you know, it's funny because you didn't mention Texas. Texas yeah. was the worst team in the American League last year. You, right. We could have Texas, too. And it, it's possible. It's possible we could have six, Tim. <laughs> Dodger fans are listening in. Tommy want to know about uh, – Opening series loss to the Rockies on the road. They, they score 11 runs at Coors. So they have to uh, now hit the road and go up to Minnesota to take on the Twins. Look, early season, right, Tom? Rockies got them, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, I'm not worried if I'm the Dodgers, but I am a little bit concerned. The Dodgers are in a position where their expectations are you have to win. You know, the Dodgers are not this kind of team, Tim. That could start off the year, let's just say, you know, um, 18-20 and feel okay. That, that, that would be the, the world crumbling down around them, and they would have to make wholesale changes. I mean, literally, that, that's kind of where the Dodgers are. The Dodgers are in a position that if they if they go 8-10 and 10 over the first 18 games, if they go, if they go 9-11, and 11, Tim, we may see changes. That's the problem. When you have this kind of team and you have this kind of front office that is win, win, win at all costs, and this is that you might get shakeup if you don't get off to a good start. So this is one series. It's no big deal. It's on the road. But Colorado's supposed to lose 100 games too. You didn't mention them, Tim. They're seven teams, right? <laughs> Colorado right. should lose. I think Colorado's going to be the worst team in the league. Colorado should lose 100 games, and you should win 100. You just lost the first series. Yes, it's April. Yes, it's the first series. Yes, no big deal. Who cares? Sure, brush it aside. All of that. But if these start smelling up and the Dodgers are playing 500 or just a little under 500, and we're talking about three weeks into the season, a month into the season, you might see some big changes. That could be a problem if you're a Dodger fan. And we have an NLS matchup beginning tomorrow in San Francisco. The Padres 3-1. and one. And they're literally a walk-off away from sweeping the Diamondbacks to four-game set against the Giants. 107 wins last year, Tom. Already off to a 2-1 start with a series victory over the Marlins. I know it's early, but, you know, it's, it's, still, uh, it's still fun to talk about these, these rivalry matchups that we're getting here early in the year. Tim, 27-mile-per-hour wins going out to McCovey Cove tomorrow night. Hmm. I oh. Oh, I mean, that could be a fun one. I'm keeping my eye on that. That could be a real fun game. Yeah, look, the Padres are a team that um, – is it a product of just an early season kind of bad schedule and taking on a D-backs team? I think it's some of that. I don't expect this Padres team to be 
what everybody expects them to be and, and this world beater. But for them, it's basically just stay 500 till we get Tatis back, right? I mean, isn't that all they're looking at? Just stay 500 till we get Tatis back and then we can make our push. So you know, every win counts. And I say it all the time. Every win counts now just as much as it does in September. It's the truth. Pile on those wins against the weak competition. Even though it's Arizona, got to get those wins, right? You got to put the W's yeah. up. And especially for this team that is missing their best player and and an MVP candidate. If for this team, just get there. And it's the same thing for the Mets. Just stay 500 till DeGrom gets back. Just stay 500 till Tatis gets back. There are certain teams that it, it is that simple. Just be competitive. Don't bury yourself. And then we got that second half push. Tom, before we take the first time out, I, I wanted to bring up something you had mentioned a few minutes ago. And, and the big, one of the big offseason stories was that the Atlanta Braves chose to let Freddie Freeman leave via free agency ends up in, in L.A. But earlier this week, Ronald Acuna had said something when he was being interviewed uh, by, I think it was by one of the, his local country papers that asked him a question. Let everybody know what, what he basically said about his ex-teammate, Mr. Freeman. Yeah, and I want to get your take on this. I really do. I, I I am clearly in the minority here where the opinions go, but I want to get your take on what happened with this. So for those that don't know, um, Ronald Acuna was on a, a Spanish-speaking show. And I only say that because there was a, a translation kind of issue, right? So he was on a show, um, I'm trying to get the, the, the name here, with uh, Janssen Pujols. Okay, and this is Hector Gomez and Janssen Pauls both reporting this. So he was on with that, and it was a, just a basic, hey, getting ready for the season kind of call and an, a nice interview. And what he was asked about was, okay, Freddie Freeman is not with you anymore. His quote, this is translated by Hector Gomez. I won't miss Freddie Freeman. We had some friction. He didn't care when I was plunked. Freddie was overbearing. He wasn't somebody I could ever talk to. He went on to say, um, Freddie Freeman uh, di- didn't take, a, he took over the clubhouse. Freddie Freeman was overbearing where he wiped off eye black from him. Freddie Freeman told him to respect his you know, clubhouse and his teammates. Freddie Freeman it, it will not be missed in this locker room. Within minutes of this, and this was on Instagram Live, within minutes of this, Freddie Freeman puts out, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Ronald Cooney puts out, I never say that with three clown faces on his Twitter account right next to that. Hector Gomez came back and said, "He, I was on IG Live. I can confirm every single word of that. More baseball guys kind of jumped on top of that and said, no, that's exactly what he said. I mean, we have it word for word. The clip is going across. I don't speak Spanish, Tim or at least that well I took it in high school, right? <laughs> um, but I, I'm trusting that almost every Spanish-speaking person that I can speak to and major, major, major players in the media, look at Hector Gomez, one of the best in the business, are all translating exactly the same and saying, here's the clip. You said exactly that. Then when he was pushed after saying, I didn't say it, I didn't say it, I didn't say it, basically it's now come to light that, no, yeah, no, that's all true. Um Freddie Freeman was there kind of protecting the A is what they call it. He was supposed to be there protecting the way that they do things in Atlanta. 
Things like not putting your sunglasses on top of the A on your hat because you want to represent Atlanta. Things like, you know, this is a veteran type of team. You don't sit here. You do that. We respect certain things here. And Freddie Freeman is now in L.A. taking jabs from Atlanta fans and from Atlanta for considering, uh, look, he's trying to protect a culture that he's no longer a part of. It is a weird situation because all these Atlanta fans have now jumped on Ronald Acuna's bandwagon as if Freddie Freeman was not there. Everybody kind of is is backing up Freddie Freeman. Tim, I am 100% the other way. I am completely on Freddie Freeman here. I think he's 100% right. There are rules in baseball. You could say, oh, I don't care. I don't care about the unwritten rules. I don't care. There are rules in baseball of how you should conduct yourself, how you're supposed to walk in. You should not be walking in like Ronald Acuna did as a brash youngster and kind of, oh, look at what I can do and look at who I can be on a clubhouse that is a veteran-led clubhouse. And let's not forget that Freddie Freeman's way brought them a ring. Not Ronald Acuna. He didn't bring that ring, guys. Freddie Freeman did. Freddie Freeman also has friends in that locker room. So no matter how you really are feeling about this, he's got friends in that locker room. There's got to be some side-eye going on. There's got to be a little bit of that. And you listen to Major League Baseball Network having the debate, and the ex-players, Mark DeRosa and whatnot, are sitting back saying, no, this happens all the time, and it's good for the game. It's good, Mark DeRosa said, you know, there's about four or five big recliner chairs, and the rookies weren't allowed to sit in them because, well, the veterans bought the chairs for the clubhouse, right? And that's the chairs they want. And you can't do these kind of things. I think there's a lot of truth to both sides. I think Freddie Freeman certainly can be a little overbearing. I think Freddie Freeman certainly was the kind of the captain of the team that kind of say, hey, this is how we do things in Atlanta, and probably went over, stepped over a little bit short. I think that is for sure. But I also know just watching Ronald Acuna, or at least I think watching Ronald Acuna and his little jitter step before third and his showboating nature and his yellow armbands and his bat flipping, that he certainly could come in with a chip on his shoulder and come in as if he owned the place when he was a rookie and didn't pay his dues. I can see both things simultaneously happening. Here's the thing, though. Why say this? Ronald Acuna said this the day before opening day, and they asked him about it. They said, do you have any regrets saying this before opening day, the day before opening day? And now you have to, on opening day, answer questions of this. And he said, no, nah, yeah, no, nah, I don't care. Like he, he just flat out doesn't care. We could go on to a long rant here and talk about, Tim, maybe it's just millennials, right? Maybe it's just all that new generation. I've heard people go down the stereotypical, well, it's the Spanish-speaking people that that's their their culture of flipping the bats and not having fun. And Freddie Freeman just doesn't understand the culture. I've, I, I, We could go down that path. We could go down the path that Ronald Acuna, just too much money, too young, too much success, too young. Sure. I mean, there's a million paths you could go down here. My, I'm not going down any of them right now. We could go down there if you'd like. My question is, just why say it right now? It's a distraction to a team that is trying to do something that's very, very difficult in sports anyway, which is repeat. It's a distraction to a team of you're piling on a guy that isn't even here anymore. So what difference does it make, right? I mean, who cares? You're piling on in situation that it just doesn't need to be done. You can't tell me that there isn't some Freddie Freeman fans in that clubhouse, guys that were friends with him, that are now a little bit in a friction with Ronald Acuna, even if it's an unsaid friction. So my first thing in the right gives me the freedom of speech, correct? Oh, absolutely. 
so, so this is my opinion on, on this situation. I think Ramal Acuna is a punk. And it's easy for me to say that in that he backtracked so quickly on what was said in that interview, which was then proven that it was correctly said. Now, you brought up a good point. In, in the translation, was something misread? I don't know, because I've seen a lot of Spanish-speaking people say that he, he looked dead serious with the way he said it, Tommy. And here's the things we have to remember. And we'll, we'll disqualify the Atlanta Brave fans that are mad at Freddie Freeman right now just being idiots because, number one, he brought you a World Series title. Huge in the playoffs. And it wasn't that he didn't want to come back. Atlanta chose to go a different route, a cheaper route, and that's why they went and brought Matt Olson in. It was cheaper for them to do that, right? So the economics of the game step in the way. But you saw what Freeman said on Baseball Tonight when he was asked about it. He said that he didn't think it – and I'm surmising this in that – he didn't see any friction or clash. He didn't think of it that way. He loves Ronald, and he's going to miss him. You know, he took the high road in this situation, Tommy, and, and that's the way it should be because you said it best. In, in time-honored tradition, there are rules that are made for the people that paved the road for you, and you should follow those whether you like it or not because at some point, Ronald Acuna is going to be in that same exact situation, Tom, and you think he's going to like some young punk coming in there trying to establish the new clubhouse rules. If it wasn't for Freddie Freeman, Mr. Acuna, you wouldn't have a ring on your finger. A ring, by the way, that you didn't earn because you didn't play the last half of the season. Yeah, I know it was injury, Tommy, but it doesn't matter. Freddie Freeman brought them a championship, and um, he's a punk. He, the, the timing of it's bad. What he said was, was terrible, and then he backtracked on it. Uh, you're right. There, there's Freeman's a very popular guy in that, in that clubhouse. I think that that's something that maybe down the line we should be looking at. Yeah, we're already hearing that Dansby Swanson, you know, kept a locker open for Freddie Freeman, and now that was a point of contention. This is a, a bad look for Atlanta. And, you know, you said it. I always ask why do people say something. You know, sometimes it's for from, you know, you're, you're just kind of stupid and you shouldn't have said that. And then you also have the secondary thing of, well, everyone has an agenda. I think Ronald Acuna has an agenda. I do. I think that he said this because Freddie Freeman is so revered in that city. I think he said this because there are people talking about putting a monument to Freddie Freeman up. I, that's how popular he was. And now it's Ronald Acuna's team. And I'll tell you what, Tim, it would not surprise me if this ran so deep that that was one of the reasons why Ronald, uh, why Freddie Freeman's out of town. It wouldn't shock yeah. me. If there was kind of a line drawn in the sand and it was – Acuna or Freeman, and the Atlanta Braves chose Freeman to leave town as opposed to Acuna staying there. I think it's a bad situation for Atlanta one way or the other. That's Tom Barden, TomBardenSports.com, Tim Unglesby, timeout number one. When we come back, I was, I was just this popped in my head, Tommy. I, I want you to get your thoughts on it because um, I know you'll have a good take on this. We're going to talk a little bit about LeBron James on the back half of this timeout. You see where it's ports, Fox ports right now back to Heatwave Sports. I'm going to stay with some baseball here as we make our way to the top of the hour on a Sunday night. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. We're with you every weekend, 10 to midnight. And, of course, you can follow us over on that Twitter at HW Sports or at Tom Barton Sports. And, Tommy, you side text me. We should bring it up because it is, it is kind of a, it's, it's a big story, no doubt. 
and it's going to get bigger as the season progresses into the offseason if this holds to true. But it was announced earlier in the week also that the Yankees and star player Aaron Judge have not come to terms on a long-term contract extension. So Aaron Judge came out and basically said that he's going to test the free agent market and that the Yankees will get their opportunity to submit an offer that he feels uh, is if it's good enough, he'll, he'll stay in New York, but that he's not opposed necessarily to, to leaving the team. And I text you when I saw it, I said, do you think this is him just grandstanding or is there some truth behind this Tom? And you said with the way things are nowadays, it, it wouldn't surprise you if he did choose to go somewhere else. Yeah. And I'm basically quoting Anthony Rizzo who said, Freddie Freeman's in L.A. There's no loyalty left in this game. And it's true. And, and here's the thing. Uh, the, the fans are now turning on Aaron Judge. But it's warranted. You know, right? I mean, it, it is warranted. The fans are turning around and looking at Aaron Judge. And he is the guy. He's the face of the franchise. He's the guy everybody wanted. Every single day there are people going, okay, here we go. You know what? Let's re-sign Judge. Let's make sure that Judge is locked up. Man, let's do this. Let's do that. Well, you know, the Yankees basically gave them eight, eight years. And he's going to be the only players that would be above him with an average salary would be Mike Trout. That's it. I, I mean, we're talking about one player with a better average salary than what they offered him. They offered him a pretty massive salary. $31 million is what they're asking him. And, and you have to look at this from long-term ramifications. I like Judge. You know that. I am a huge Aaron Judge fan. But basically what they were offering him is to sign him through his age 37 year. 37-year-old Aaron Judge. 37-year-old Aaron Judge who will still be a guy that is dealing with injuries because the way his body is and the way he plays the game, he's always been an injury play guy. So he's an injury play guy that you're asking to be the highest paid or the second highest paid player <laughs> at 37 years old. It's going to be a bad contract at the end of the contract. The Yankees knew that, and they were still willing to say, okay, we're still willing to offer you this. Is there a team like the Dodgers, for example, that may go out there and say, okay, we're going to pay you $36 million, and we're going to pay you until your age 40 season? Yeah, there's a team that maybe will do that. But I think that the Yankees are in a position of saying, um, yeah, look, we want to keep you, Aaron Judge. But if not... If we don't keep you, we know we have our sights set on Juan Soto. And Juan Soto could be a guy that we would offer $35 million to or $40 million to because he's younger. That's kind of the Yankees' thinking. I can't say I blame them. I think what they offered Aaron Judge was very fair. I thought that they were going to offer him less years but more money. I think what they offered him was very fair. It is a contract Judge real. If he wanted to be part of the New York Yankees – he would have accepted that contract. It is I, I, it's shocking to me that we're here when you hear about the details. And the fact that we know the details, Tim, means that the Yankees and the Yankees brass knows, you know what, this guy's just being unreasonable. We don't know exactly what Aaron Judge asked for, but the fact that the Yankees released it, they wanted the fans to know, hey, look, we made every attempt here. You know, this is not penny pinching the Yankees. This is not Brian Cashman not doing his job. This is not Hal Steinbrenner not being George. No, this is a really, really good contract offer. And it's a good contract offer that I think most Yankee fans are going, you know what? 
They're age 36, 37. We're going to have a Pujols or a Miguel Cabrera type of guy, you know, having a problem on our team. We just know that. But for the first, for the next five years, we'll be set. The Yankees gave him a huge offer to him. I'm surprised. Look, I'm a massive Yankee fan. My son, his first jersey he ever had was Aaron Judge. He's where he's got an Aaron Judge jersey now. I have an Aaron Judge jersey. By far my favorite Yankee player. But if he wants more than what they're offering him to be the second highest paid player in the game, average annually, and to go until your age 37 season, if he needs more than that, I think he can be out of town. Well, what did it break down to per year, Tommy, roughly? About $31 million a year. So he would make more than, than Stanton, his teammate. He'd make more than Harper. He'd make more than Mookie. So the only person that makes more than him would be Mike Trout. Does he think that he deserves Mike Trout money? That's exactly what he's saying. And, and that's the thing. We don't know what he exactly is asking. The original speculation was that he wanted to get a long-term contract. He wanted more than a five-year contract. Well, the Yankees offered him that. The original speculation was he wanted 27 to $28 million a year. Well, the Yankees offered him 31 So my only conclusion and talking to people within the know is, you know, what what does he want? He wants to be the highest paid player in the sport. That That is exactly what he wants. He wants a 37, 38, maybe a $40 million contract. And he believes that he could go out there and get it. Okay, let's play. Even though we're a ways away from that, Tommy, it's funny that sometimes it's like, let's just kind of predict this and say that, he does go somewhere else. Where do you see him fitting in? Let's put it that way. It's L.A. or nothing. Yeah, okay. I mean, it, it, it's the Dodgers or nothing. There's nobody out, out there. The Boston Red Sox will not pay him, considering they won't even pay Devers right now. Um, they're, they're, there's no way that they will pay him. The Orioles, I mean, could the Orioles be that team to just go crazy? Maybe, but they haven't done that, right? I mean, they just haven't shown that need to kind of push there. There's nobody else that can really afford them. You can, I know I've heard speculation. Well, maybe Texas, ah, Texas just spent all their money. Well, maybe the Mets. Now that now all of a sudden they turn around and you have a brand new owner who could spend like crazy. That would be a giant dig to the Yankees. All right, I'll put the Mets in as maybe a dark horse there, Tim. Maybe they're one of those teams that, okay, maybe they're that kind of dark horse team. But there's nobody else. I mean, to me, it's the Dodgers or nothing. If you really want to squint your eyes, you could say the Mets. If you really want to go absolutely crazy, uh, you know, maybe the San Francisco Giants open up their wallets, but I just don't see it happening. I think it's the Dodgers or nobody. And when the Dodgers realize, and the judge camp realizes, we're kind of only competing against the Yankees offer, and and that's it. It's only going to be the Yankees or the, the Dodgers. What's going to happen is that the Dodgers are going to either have to add years and turn around and say, okay, we'll pay you $31 million for 10 years as opposed to the seven that the Yankees offered or do they go to 40 million a year? Well, yeah, we'll give you 40 million a year, but we're only going to give it to you for five years. It's going to be the Yankees kind of competing against the Dodgers for Aaron judge in the contract situation. It's a different day and age, Tommy, you know, you talked about little Tommy's favorite players, Aaron judge, and he may not get to see him finish his career with the Yankees, you know, growing up, I liked Tony Gwynn and I liked Cal Ripken. Those were my guys. They played their entire careers with the same team. Tommy, you're obviously a huge Derek Jeter guy. He finished his career in a Yankee uniform like he started.
but you know, today's day and age, it's very few and far. And you said it best, or was it Rizzo that said it? Freddie Freeman's not finishing his career as a Brave. I mean, it kind of says everything, right? Absolutely. And you know, you mentioned, uh, yeah, you mentioned Derek Jeter. For me, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera is my favorite player ever. He spent his whole career there. Don Mattingly was my favorite player growing up. By the way, that Major League Baseball special, Don Mattingly was fantastic this week. But Mattingly was my favorite player growing up. Always a Yankee. It's just a different world now. And it, it almost doesn't, you know, Tim, it almost doesn't impact you if a guy isn't a homegrown guy, comes to you, and then finishes his career, kind of. But it bothers you when you invest so much emotionally into a player and then he leaves. I mean, that really is an emotional kind of just kick in the gut. You should be okay with Mike Trout now. And and that security is pretty nice. And Aaron Judge could have been that guy. Look, I, I am fully convinced that the day Aaron Judge signed this contract, if he signs or would have signed, I thought they were going to put the C on his chest. I thought they were going to make him the next Yankee captain. And, and I was I was at that point where he was the next lineage of the New York Yankees and the next lineage of what they are. Where I'm looking at it right now is I'm watching the fan base, Tim, and I'm shocked. The fan base, say what you want about Yankee fan base. They're an intelligent group of te- of people. And they are. They got the contract numbers and they said, yep, we're now on team management because this is a fair offer. And I'm shocked that there's not a lot of people screaming, at, Judge should just get every dollar. That, who cares? It doesn't matter. No, no, no. It is the other way around. People are going, Judge, what are you doing here? This is a fair deal. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heat Wave Sports. We'll put a closed hour number one right now. And when we come back, we're going to spin it around. And we do want to get some NBA talking, as um, as I said before the last time out. Tommy tweeted out something about LeBron James earlier in the week. And I want to talk about that because it, guess what? The regular season is done. The playoffs are on the way get Tom's kind of primer on what to look forward here in the NBA postseason on the other side of the timeout. It's Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 989 FM, 1340 AM. Now back to Heatwave Sports. The NBA play-in tournament scheduled for Tuesday, as we'll find two two, uh, two teams out of each conference are joining the six, top six seeded teams from the East and the West. Miami is the number one seed in the East. Phoenix will be the number one seed in the West. But the bigger story is the LA Lakers out of the playoffs, 33 and 49 this year. They finish 31 games behind the Suns in the Western Conference. And, and Tom, you you uh, retweeted this tweet from, from LeBron. I can only assume this was earlier in the year mm-hmm. in, in that he basically, I'll, I'll read it actually. It says, keep talking about my squad, our personal ages, the way he plays, he stays injured, we're past our prime in this league, etc., etc., etc. Do me one favor, please. That's all capital letters with four exclamation points. And I mean, please keep the same narrative energy when it all begins, that's all I ask. Am I correct in saying this was early in the year and in, in claiming that they were going to make a run here? Oh, yeah, this was, this was early in the year. To, I got a written permission slip, Tim, to talk about LeBron and just destroy him because he said, please keep the energy. Tim, I'm keeping the energy. 
I'm keeping it. LeBron, uh, now Vogel was uh, is out, okay? Uh, Vogel is out today um, as the head coach, and somehow or another, it's his fault, right? Let, let's just be honest where this is, guys, because I'm keeping the energy like LeBron asked. LeBron asked to keep the energy. LeBron James and the tenure at the L.A. Lakers is an unmitigated disaster. This was the most disappointing professional team in the history of sports. LeBron James is a joke. LeBron James on the Lakers will be known as a complete or failure. Do not, for one second, you guys can call us up, 876-1340, and I will laugh in your face if you bring up the bubble championship. We all know it's not a real championship. It's a, it's a joke of a championship. Stop with that. LeBron James has failed miserably. Anybody that ever dares speaks LeBron James among the greats of the game. I'm not even saying the greatest anymore. LeBron is out of the conversation of the greats of the game because of what he's done in L.A., or rather what he hasn't done in L.A. He has massive talent around him. He has massive talent up and down that team. He assembled this team. He's a bad GM right now. He's a player. Oh, well, you know what? He went out there and, and averaged 30 a game and yet still couldn't make the playoffs. He sat out the end of the games. He sat out the end of the year when they still had a chance. He missed a three-pointer to keep their playoff hopes alive. He left during the game before a game was even over. The guy has always been a bad guy. He is a bad character player. He's a bad guy on the field. He's a bad guy off the field. He is a bad character dude. And it's showing up. It's permeating throughout the team. Leaving early, not caring, missing the, the, the three for the playoffs. This is LeBron's legacy. LeBron's legacy now is the Los Angeles Lakers and the absolute and total disaster that this team is. But you said it. He's going to blame Frank Vogel for it, right? It was all his fault when we knew he was a lame duck coach when they hired him to begin with. I, I guess what what's funny is where does this go with – you know, what's the relationship like with Anthony Davis? Is that something to look – I'm not even sure the, the contract situation with LeBron, Tom, is he, he's up for – I'm assuming he can leave, right? I mean, you know, right now, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Horton Tucker um, are $139.8 million, just the four of them, Tim. That's $17 million over the expected salary cap. How ridiculous is that? So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, everyone keeps saying Westbrook's out of town. I think they all should be out of town. I mean, I think LeBron should be out of town. First of all, LeBron's a joke, so he should be gone anyway, but they're not going to trade him. They're probably not trading Anthony Davis. I think that they're, I think this all goes on Westbrook. I think it's going to be in private meetings, in private conversations. I think it's LeBron going to be telling Anthony Davis, look, I screwed up. Westbrook isn't the guy that I thought he was. We got to get rid of him. And I expect Russell Westbrook to be playing somewhere else. And him to Russell Westbrook and Frank Vogel off the team all of a sudden is going to fix the Lakers when we all know the real reason. The reason is LeBron James is the reason, guys. Well, with the playing tournament beginning, and the, um, we'll get the eight seeds. What what is your looking at the the teams in Tom's Phoenix overall best record on the season? 64 and 18 in the West. Over in the East, a lot closer. Miami, 53 wins. And then you have Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, all with 51. 
looks like the East will be a lot of fun to watch. Your thoughts on actually your thoughts on both conferences, just before we even see the matchups, what, what do you think? Yeah, let's take a look at the East here. I, I do think it's fun. It's funny because I'm not a believer in Miami. You know, I won money on them during the bubble of, of going to the, uh, I thought it was a home court advantage. I like the defense going to the championship. Okay. But I'm not, I'm not buying in on Miami. I'm not buying in on Chicago. To me, this is Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Boston. And it, yeah, it's a four-team race. And every one of them have questions. I'm not sure if Harden and Embiid work during the playoffs, but I certainly know that Embiid is playing at an elite, elite level right now. I look at Brooklyn and I go, I don't know if Irving and Durant can just kind of turn it on now and be behind the eight ball in the playoff race and just all of a sudden kind of be the team everybody expected. I I, I think that I, I know that they have the talent, Tim. I think that that's going to be a little bit of a stumbling block. I look at Milwaukee and I go, okay, they have the experience. Giannis is that guy. He improves it every single year. They have that playoff push, but it is hard to kind of go back up to the mountain time after time. And you look at Boston. Boston is, I mean, 20 and four, the last 24 games, Tim. They are absolutely red hot. And Jason Tatum is a guy that can put a team on his shoulders. And he's proving that with Brown, that they can play well together. I want to say Boston here, Tim. I want to say Boston could come out of this thing because I think that they can. But it is a really hard kind of decision to sit back and say, can Boston go through two of Milwaukee and Brooklyn, Milwaukee in 76 or 76 in Brooklyn, Brooklyn. And I mean, that is a tough combination, but you could say that about anybody. I think the East is an absolute just fun watch because you have four teams. And oh, by the way, the Nets are going to face one of these playoff teams right away. Right? I mean, if they get out of the, the playing round, which they should without a problem, if the Nets get out of this playing round with, with no problem, they're going to face the number two team which all of a sudden sets up a first-round matchup maybe that we've never seen before, a first-round matchup between two teams that could win the championship in round one. So I think the East is a lot of fun. You go to the West, I don't understand all the over-love for the Phoenix Suns. Now, I know they went 11-4 and without Chris Paul, and I know that how good they can be. They are the best team record-wise and everything else, sure. But the betting line has them at 3-1. to one. Tim, they're 3-1. to one. The Warriors are 10-1. to one. The Grizzlies are 14 to 1. I don't think that there's that much of a separation. Memphis is playing out of their minds right now. They put up a 55 point quarter yesterday. Absolutely out of their minds. Morant is that kind of guy that we can see just going ballistic at the playoffs. I think Utah can have a push. I think Denver can have a push. But I'm looking at the Warriors and I'm saying they really haven't been healthy this year, but we watched the Warriors at their best earlier in the year. And the Warriors at their best earlier in the year, didn't have Pope playing like he's playing right now. The Warriors at their best had a less than ready-to-go Clay Thompson. Now Clay's going to be ready. They have a little bit of depth with Pope. They have Curry coming back healthy. They have the intangibles where they've been there before. I think it's crazy to write off the Warriors. I, I know everyone's on the Suns. The Warriors, the Grizzlies, somebody's going to knock off the Suns. It's not an anti-Phoenix kind of conversation. It's just, I can't believe they're only three to one and everybody else is 10 to one or more. But Denver, I know, I know they're sitting there at the bottom of the East or the West Tom, but it's a team that can score in bunches and they have that, that go-to guy. 
you know, really when you look at the six through four, there's only three or four game separation there. Could they be a, a I don't want to say a dark horse, but could they be a surprise there? Or is it Denver's in the playoffs? They always find a way to, uh, to, to mess it up, Tom. You know, it's fool me once, fool me twice kind of thing here, Tim. And I think the same thing with the Jazz. I'll talk about the Nuggets and the Jazz together. Year after year after year after year, I continue to say, this might be Denver's year. This might be Utah's year. And I've been on Denver recently, the last three years. This is going to be Denver's year. This is going to be the year of, of, of Denver. And I like Utah. And year after year, they just don't have enough juice to get there. They may go to a Western Conference Finals, but they just don't have enough juice. I got to see it before I can go with this team. And it's not like Memphis, because don't tell me, well, you know what you just said, Memphis is a new team. It's brand no, Jokic has been there before. And this Utah Jazz incarnation, the Rudy Gobert, they've been there before. They've been there before. They get really good. They suck you in. And then they have just one bad series here or there. Until they get there, I can't buy into them. I'm rooting for Denver. I'd love to see them do it. But I can't imagine that they're going to go in and be able to knock off, again, two of the big boys. They're going to have to knock off either a Golden State Phoenix, Golden State Memphis, Memphis Phoenix. They're going to have to knock off two of them in a row. I think that's a lot to ask from a team that we've watched continuously get close but not be able to get over the hump. And I know we'll talk more about the playoffs as they get settled in, but if I had to say right now, Tom, give me your your champ. Is it Milwaukee again? Uh, oh, man, that is that is tough. Like I said, I kind of want to take Boston. Brooklyn makes the most sense here, Tim. Um, it, you, you know, they really do. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to shock you. I'm going to say Philly is going to come out of the East. And the reason why is just because Embiid is playing at this massively elite level. When he is healthy, this is what we've seen. I always think it's just hard to get back, and that's why I'm not going with Milwaukee. You thought I would automatically go with Milwaukee because you know how much I like them. I, I will say Philadelphia. It might be Philly's time in the East over in the West. But I'm not discounting Boston, by the way. Over in the West, yeah, I'm going to go with the Warriors. I, I think the Warriors are going to win this all. I, I know that they have their problems. I know they have their injuries. But I like the experience. I like that they had a mission kind of going in. I like that they have the best player on the court when he's available to be on the court, and that's Stephon Curry. And – I think Steve Kerr is a moron off the court, but he's a pretty good coach. So I'm going to take the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. I like Golden State as well. I liked them beginning of the season, and that's before Curry got hurt and uh, Clay was still out. But obviously, you've seen Clay is back. Green's always been a solid, and Curry will be back as well, Tom. And I think with that, just that nucleus is still there. They're the best team. And I think we'll see that here quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to overlook their talent. The thing is, if Curry isn't 100% or Clay isn't 100%, uh, then all of a sudden it's anyone's game. Uh, to me, this is an NBA season that has been ho-hum, boring, no one's cared about. We know that. No, Nobody cares about the NBA anymore. It is almost an unwatchable sport. But, Tim, this is the playoffs that are going to suck people in. It's going to suck me in because we do have not only good playoff potential matchups, we're going to have good playoff matchups right out of the shoot, right off the bat. We're going to have fun matchups. And even teams like we didn't mention, you know, Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. 
even teams like that, they just have that one player. You might not like Denver, but you're going to enjoy watching Jokic. You might not like Dallas, but you're going to enjoy watching Donkey. You may not like, uh, you know, Miami, but you're going to enjoy watching Butler and Bam. And you have those kind of players to latch onto. I think it's going to be a very fun playoff for the NBA. Since we're talking playoffs, let's look at the the NHL as we're coming down the stretch of the regular season. About nine or ten games left for most teams to get to that postseason situation. Let's start with the Las Vegas Knights. Tommy Aze are creeping their way, trying to slide into that last spot in the wild card, or or possibly you know passing the Kings there up into a, a, a guaranteed playoff spot. Your thoughts on, on BGK, you know, the schedule. You and I have always talked about how the schedule is so important and you have to beat the bad teams. Well, Vegas is doing that, and the Kings are kind of helping them along here. They're on a three-game bender the other way. So Vegas is two points behind the Kings now for that third spot in the Pacific. Yeah, they're right there. Look, they've had a nice run, but we have to remember that they have played two more games than the Dallas Stars who are catching up to them. Dallas losing to Jersey yesterday was pretty uh, – I mean, that was that was so needed by what Vegas is doing. Vegas is streaking in the right direction, right, where they won six of the last seven games. They look really good. I've always thought that Vegas was going to sneak in, but I've had my doubts, and I still do. Now, April 26th, Tim, Dallas against Vegas. That might be a massively important – a massively important game. But like you said – Maybe Vegas is streaking in the other direction where they are so good that maybe they don't even have to worry about Dallas at this point. I'm, I'm not ready to write that check, though. I'm not ready to write it up that the Golden Knights are, are ready to go and they are going to just go keep this up. There are spurts and there are times during the season where you do. You go real hot. You get really – here we go. We're going to win you know, whatever, six of seven, seven of nine, whatever it might be. But their schedule does get a little bit tougher from here on out, right? I mean, this is not playing the Arizona Coyotes here. They're going to get a little bit tougher. And I look at Vegas and I say, I, I've always thought they were going to make this push. I've always thought that they were going to be okay in making the push. But with Dallas having two games in hand, I'm not sure that you can write Dallas off. The, the Vegas Golden Knights may need to keep winning in the way that they are. When all is said and done, I want to say Vegas gets in, but I am not as confident as Vegas Knights fans. The Knights the nice should target the Kings is, is who they, they should be targeting to get in the back door of the playoffs because the Kings, are, are like I said, are starting to bend. But, but you're right, they got to win. They just got to keep winning to do it. And I, I took a little um, – a couple weeks ago when Vegas was in the midst of a slump, you could get the Knights to make the playoffs plus 220. Time. I put a little on that one. You know, I think they're good enough to make the playoffs. And whether we get there or not, we'll see. There's still eight games left. And a lot of that's going to be determined as a road trip right at the end of the season for the Knights. It's a, it's a Midwest road trip. So there'll be a lot to be said with that coming here in a couple of weeks. But when you look at just take a look at the, the Western Conference, you know, Colorado, again, another strong season, Tom, 110 well, Tim, Tim, before, I'm sorry, not to cut you off. Before you do that, yeah. I wanted to take a quick look at this, this Knights schedule. Because I want sure. Vegas Knights fans to understand what's going on, okay? Um, sure. Van... The, the Knights have gone on this streak. They beat Nashville at home, Chicago at home, both garbage teams, right? Seattle twice on the road, Vancouver on the road, Arizona at home. They have beaten bad teams. Now here's what they got. At Vancouver, they will be an underdog. At Calgary, 
they will be a substantial underdog. At Edmonton, they will be an underdog. Then they get Jersey at home, okay? Washington at home. Washington's won 8 of 12. They are streaking in the right direction. Vegas will be the favorite, but that'll be a, nearly a pick game, okay? San Jose at home, you'll, they'll win that game, okay? Um, Dallas, like I said, they'll be an underdog. Then they finish off at Chicago and at St. Louis, but they'll be an underdog. So you look at this, Tim, and they have uh, nine games to go. Nine games left in the schedule. Five of them are on the road. Four of those five, they'll be underdogs. Three of them are at home. Washington is kind of the key game here. And that's why I wanted to get your take on it because you're a Washington fan. Washington's streaking massively right now. They won 8-12. They look really good. Uh, I, I look at the next four games, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. Uh, the next three games, I'm sorry. Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton, all road games. They will be the underdog in all of them. Tim, I could see 0-3. I could see... One and two, I could see two and one. I can't see three and oh, which now all of a sudden makes that home series. They'll beat Jersey at home. They'll beat San Jose at home. Can they beat Washington at home? To me, makes it go, okay, you can't go 500 here over the next six games. You got to get a four and two, and you're probably hoping for a five and one going into the last three-game stretch. How beautiful would it be, Tom, that, the Washington Capitals would be the team to prevent Vegas from going to the playoffs when it's all said and done. The same team that went in and won the Stanley Cup right there at T-Mobile Arena on, on Vegas' goal, uh, home ice. And I think a lot of it's going to come down to where Washington sets at that time. You know, they have two games in hand and they're four points behind Pittsburgh for that next spot up in the playoffs. So essentially burn, without basically uh, – the house being burnt down, Washington's in the playoffs already, right? It's just a matter of the Islanders won't be able to catch them for that spot. Now it's a matter of moving well, up. And Washington where you're... move up pretty substantially, though. Right, right. So if they stay yeah. on this pace, that's a huge game for them to play, even though it's on the road. And let's let's look at it. Washington is a better road team this year than they are a home team. So I think it's, it's going to be a tough, tough road for Vegas. They got to win these games that they, like you said, the Jerseys and the Chicago's. They got to win them, but I think they're going to struggle with the Calgarys, the Edmontons, the St. Louis's. And Tim, Tim, let's let's look at it. Last nine games, I have them. Okay, let, let's go game by game. Vancouver, win or loss? Uh, I think they win that one. Yeah. Okay, now they just played Vancouver twice um, in the last three games. They lost in overtime. Uh, they won in overtime three two, and then they lost five one at home. I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a win too, but that certainly could go either way. That's Tuesday night's game. I'll give them a win. That's one. Calgary, that's a loss for me. Loss, yeah. Edmonton, that's a loss for me. These are road games too, correct? Road games, yeah. All three are yeah. road. Yeah. Okay, so we have one and two go to uh, at home New Jersey. Two and two. Yeah. That's that's a win. Okay, Washington, loss. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I'll give them a loss. That's two and three. San Jose at home. I'll give them a win. Three and three, right? Be a win. Yep. Yep. Three and three going to Dallas on the twenty sixth. I would assume Dallas has to come to play. I think Dallas wins it at home. I do too. Three and four at Chicago. I'll give them a win. Yeah. That's four and four at St. Louis. Last game of the season. I would say a, a loss in that St. Louis also fighting for seeding purposes with Minnesota. 
I'm going to give him a win. So you have him at four and five. That is missing the playoffs. I have him at five and four. Let me tell you something. That's missing the playoffs, Tim. I think that they, over the next nine games, I think they got to win seven of the nine to secure a playoff spot. Six of nine might get you in. I think six of nine, you might get in at six of nine. I think you got to win seven, though. I don't think they have any room for every. I think you got to win seven games. And Tim, you got them at four. I, I got them at five. I'm being generous. So where are they going to find those wins? If they lose to Vancouver on Tuesday, I mean, their season might be over. You can't lose to Vancouver on yeah. They, now that I'm looking at the schedule, I mean, you can't. You cannot lose to Vancouver on Tuesday. I think they've got to win seven of the next nine, Tim. I, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it's not easy. You know, Dallas, you know, by the way, if is Dallas the team that kind of we're looking at? It, the Dallas Stars, let's see what how many games have they got left. I'm bringing up their schedule right now. So Dallas, like I said, they have uh, two more games. So they have 10 games, okay, after they won today. Dallas has 10 games. They have Tampa, Minnesota, San Jose at home. All home games. Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary on the road. Same three-game set as them. But then they finish off. Here's why Dallas is dangerous. They finish off Seattle at home, Vegas at home, Arizona at home, Anaheim at home. They could they could win. They could go four and zero at home for the last four games, and I think that they will go four and zero at home. They will win San Jose. That's five. They'll probably win either Tampa or Minnesota at home. That's six. That's six wins right there. And then. If they can, they steal one from Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. But let's say no. Let's just say they win six home games out of the last ten games. Tim, that's six. That puts them in the playoffs. That's enough. Yeah. Yep. Hundred percent. Hundred percent behind you on that. I, I mean, this is a. Uh, it's starting to get bleak. I, I know. You know, one of our buddies. I don't know if he wants me to say his name. One of our buddies just wrote, uh, texted me and said, I, "I, Vegas is making the playoffs." You know, I, I really don't <laughs> think so. And you start to really break it down when you start to look at the schedule. Now, I know, look, Vegas has turned it up. They could beat anybody. They, they might win all nine games, but I think they might need to win all nine games. They're two games behind Dallas. Like you said, two games behind the Kings. Uh, yeah, it's going to be – this is a tough road to hope. This is going to be tougher than I think Vegas fans. Let's just look at the Kings since you brought them up, right? Let's look at L.A. Uh, – the Kings, since you brought them up, they're two games up. They have eight games to play. So Vegas has one more game to play. The Kings have lost three games in a row, but now they go to Chicago. That's got to be a win. Then at Colorado, that's a loss. So one and one. Columbus at home, probably a win, two and one. Anaheim, it's on the road, but I got to give them a All right, we'll give them a loss there. So we'll say two and two. Chicago at home. Then they got Seattle, Vancouver. See, they got an easy schedule. I mean, they play Anaheim twice, Chicago twice, and Seattle over the last eight games. That's five of the last eight games. And the Kings really, to me, the Kings only need to go, what, four and four? They go five and four. I think Vegas is out of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, say they do make the playoffs, Tom. I said this last week. Barring matchups here in in seven-game series, they're at a huge disadvantage, whether it's Calgary, whether it's Edmonton, whether it's St. Louis, I think is better than them. And then tell me that if 
there's somehow Vegas and Colorado match up in the playoffs that the Avs don't have a huge target painted on Vegas's back after last season. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, it is kind of all uh, sitting back and just saying it's just yeah, who's going to beat the Knights in the playoffs if they make the playoffs? But I, I think. I think for a Golden Knights fan, and this is going to sound terrible, but it's the truth. I think it's better if they don't make the playoffs Mm -hmm. because you want to kind of shake up the system a little bit. You want to give the Vegas Golden Knights, the front office and everybody else kind of a wake up call here of, Hey, look, something has to change. We got to make some, some moves. If they squeak into the playoffs, Tim, well, you know what? It's playoff season. Things didn't go the right way. Well, you know what? We'll come back next year, and and they just kind of run it back. I say this, and this is not an, an anti-Golden Knights thing because I've said this about my own team. If you're going to squeak into playoffs and just be a first-round exit, I'd rather you not make it because not making it all of a sudden makes people kind of pay attention. You squeak in, you go, ah, you know what? Hey, at least they made the playoffs. I think missing the playoffs could be kind of the spark that they need. Over in the East, how fun are the Florida Panthers to watch, Tom? 51-15, and 15, six overtime losses with eight, uh, nine games left. They have 30 wins at home this year, and they just broke today the 300-goal mark for goals scored this season. Florida kind of reminds me of Tampa three, four, even two years ago. Florida Panthers team that I told everybody when we did our hockey preview, and I'm holding a, a Florida Panthers futures ticket on. Oh, yeah. That Florida Panthers team. Oh, I'm loving it. <laughs> this is a team that's down by four or five goals going into like the, this third period, and they're going, eh, it's okay. Now we're going to start playing. I mean, they are really uh, like cat and mousing this thing. It, they are just beating people up. It's a, it's a fantastic team to watch. They, it, they're everything that you like. And they're streaking even at the end of the season. They've won seven in a row. They won nine in the last ten. They're not taking their foot off the pedal. And they can. <clears throat> they have eight points more than Toronto. They could take their foot off the pedal and just kind of cruise here. They're just not that kind of team. Before the year began, I like Florida, and I love them right now. Toronto, 100 points. Austin Matthews, well, of course, he's going to hit that 60-goal mark, Tom. 100 points as well, along with his line mate, or uh, teammate Mitch Marner. They're fun to watch too, but that's they almost have the Denver Nugget uh, hex on them, right, Tommy? The great regular seasons, great individual players, and then in the playoffs, they find a way to blow it. Tim, you know, I said it this morning. I went on a, a, a Matthews Marner kind of conversation here because both of these guys have an opportunity to have 100 points for the first time um, in Maple Leafs history. Mitch Marner is the forgotten guy. You know Marner's uh, pretty much my favorite player in hockey. He's kind of the forgotten guy. Mitch Marner, when he came back from injury, has now had 67 points in 37 games. Now, I get Matthews getting all the attention, but they are a devastating one-two punch. I said it this morning on, on Sports Garden Network. I said, I don't care who the Maple Leafs face in round one. I'm taking Toronto. And maybe it is me buying in again here, Tim. Maybe it's me you know, buying that bag of beans. I think they're on a mission. Austin Matthews, with all due respect to Connor McDavid, who is the best player in the sport, Austin Matthews is the best player right now. He is playing the best right now. And I would argue very strongly that Mitch Marner might be the second best player right now. The way that they have elevated their game over the last month of the season has just been phenomenal to watch. Now, 
Toronto will always have the stigma of the first-round playoff exit. That's what happens. But I think that's on their minds. I think they're sick and tired of hearing that, Tim. I think they're sick and tired of constantly hearing people go back and forth and talk about them losing in the first round. This seems like a year and a team where they will not allow them to lose in the first round. Now, I don't know if they have enough to go through Tampa later on. Do they have enough to go through Florida later on? Do they have enough to go through a tough defense in Carolina later on? Later on, two, three, uh, second round, third round. I'm not sure, Tim. But I think for the first round, I don't care who they play. I think Matthews and Marner put these t- this team on their back. I could see not only Toronto winning those games, but just almost executing people. You know, winning those games 7-2, just to prove points. That is the kind of team that I think Toronto is going to be looking at going into the playoffs. And what about the Rangers? So a year ago, missed the playoffs. They bring in former Las Vegas Knights head coach Gerard Gallant. And now, Tommy, 100 points with eight games to go and a Ranger team that looks ready for the playoffs. Did I not tell you about that, Tim? Did yeah. I not tell you that the Rangers were going to do this? I loved the the idea of grabbing a superior head coach, a head coach that you turn around and you go, why is he even available? I love that. I'm a huge fan of what this Rangers team and how they are put together. You can see the camaraderie, the friendship off the, the ice. Panarin is a top 10 player in the league. I think Fox is easily the best defensive player in the league, and he should be the new face of New York sports. I mean, he really, if Aaron Judge leaves, he's the guy. Absolutely fantastic defensive player of the year last year, 24-year-old kid, and he's from New York, by the way. I, I like everything that this team does, and Igor in goal he might be the best goaltender right now this side of Valeski, right? I mean, oh, Vasilevsky. This is an absolute dynamite team that nobody's paying attention to. They basically are averaging about one loss per month more than the Avalanche. They are on that kind of trajectory. I think the Rangers can do huge things. We always talk about in hockey playoffs, when you're going into the playoff season, we always talk about the hot goalie, right? doesn't really matter what team you have. It's just the hot goalie. Just that that one guy. St. Louis got it because of Binnington. Oh, all right, just that hot goalie. Just, just give me that hot guy. Igor can do that. He can be the kind of player that we're turning around and we're looking at and we're going, wow, the Rangers are lifting the Stanley Cup. Why? Because Igor got that red hot. And their defense is very, very good. Everyone talks about Carolina's defense, and, and they should because Carolina has the best defense in the league. But the Rangers, they've only allowed 12 more goals than Carolina. 12 more goals, Tim. That's it. So their defense is not far off. Their offense can struggle at times, but they do have, uh, you know, that Panarin factor where they have a superstar. I think the Rangers are massively dangerous, in, in uh, not only for the, their current matchup, which would be Pittsburgh. I think they get out of that. I think they could beat Boston and Carolina. I think they could beat Tampa Bay if Tampa Bay gets by Toronto. I think they could beat Washington. I think they could beat Toronto. To me, the Rangers, they might be coming up against a force in Florida, but that might be the only one. Do you think people are overlooking Carolina, even though you said you, you read the accolades, right? Best defense in the NHL, 47 wins. Uh, look, they, you know, obviously everybody wants to talk about the Rangers or the Panthers or the Maple Leafs, even the two-time defending champion Lightning. Are people overlooking Carolina? 
I think so. I think in all sports, though, Tim, it's not just hockey. I think in all sports, defense is underrated. I mean, isn't that always the case? It's not flashy. You can't name a scorer on Carolina. The everyday hockey fan isn't going to look at Carolina and be able to mention, you know, a Matthews or a Panarin or, you know, a a McDavid. You're not going to be able to do that. So they don't have that guy. They do it by playing sound hockey and sound defense. And they remind me a lot of the Islanders the last couple of years. The Islanders that all of a sudden got to the playoffs and me and you talked about it. And I said, man, watch the Islanders go on a run here. And they get to the playoffs and people are going, wait a minute. I don't even, I can't name three guys on this team, right? I mean, I, I can't name three guys on the Islanders, but how they, wait a minute, how they keep moving on? How do they keep winning playoff series? Carolina has a lot of that feel. Carolina is also very fast, which helps us. So they're not only a good defensive team, they're very, very fast. And in a league right now, in an NHL right now, where speed is so paramount, I think that the Carolina Panthers, I mean, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes are overlooked a lot. Tim Arnold's with Tom Barton, Heat Wave Sports. As we are winding down here on a Sunday night, when we come back, we'll wrap up the show and get you ready for this week coming up. As always, big things happening here in Vegas. NFL draft just around the corner. We'll keep a little bit of that here in just a few short minutes. Stay tuned. It's Heat Sports back after this. Now back to Heatway Sports. Going to wrap it here tonight with a little NFL talk before I get to that. Tom mentioned earlier in the show about the Masters and how it was kind of a runaway tournament. Like you, you had said via the Twitter at Tom Barton Sports that. Some uh, money making opportunities betting on golf. Not not necessarily every tournament, right, Tom? But the big ones, you can make some money. Yeah, and I, I really went on a run a couple of years ago when Brooks Kepka went on that run. Um, I was on Kepka for three straight tournaments, and you know, it is something that people don't pay attention to. We're always looking in the four major sports. <clears throat> we're always looking for that big underdog, or you take a futures play. Ah, oh, man, I love that futures play. It pays fifteen to one. That's every tournament in golf, right? I mean, every tournament in golf, you have an opportunity. Today, I wound up hedging. Um, I took Smith to win it all at 16-1 to 1 before the tournament began. I actually had uh, on Sports Card Network this morning, I had Cam Rogers on with me. He's a golf expert. And I, I brought it up to him. I said, I have an opportunity to hedge here. So I'm not going to tell you how much I had on it, but $100 would have won me $1,600. But they were giving me a buyout opportunity at plus 375 and he said, you know, I don't do it. I wouldn't do it. You know, take the shot. Go for the big money. I, I've always preached at TomBartonSports.com to everybody to take take your profits. I've always preached that I would much rather you be upset that you only took, you know, $375. Oh, man, I took $375. I could have had $1,600 as opposed to going, well, I lost. So, I, you know, I went back and I said, I'm going to watch this a little bit. And I watched the first couple of holes, and Smith got from minus three down to for the championship to minus two. And all of a sudden, I had a, a big buying opportunity where they gave me the cash-out option of half of what I would have won. I took the cash-out. Now, the next hole, he actually got within one. I would have had a bigger cash-out. But he wound up finishing and really just having a terrible back nine and, and 
losing uh, completely. And I, I'm happy I took the money. And that's how I've always been. With golf, you can do that. And that's the beauty of what golf is. You can take one, two, even three big money guys that aren't even that big money. Look, 16 to 1 in the futures world, 16 to 1 is good odds. In baseball, basketball, hockey, 16 to 1 is set. You're, it's amazing. You're not getting 16 to 1 odds on anybody. In golf, you're taking a shot. And all you need to, them to do, you're not looking for them to necessarily win. You're looking for them to just get close. Just get close. Now, I took two players. I took 16 to 1 on Smith, and I had a Brooks Kepka. Kepka was out, didn't even make the cut. No problem. But I, I wound up making money because I was able to hedge my bet. And that's kind of what you have to do when you're talking about golf. But there is all there is a lot of opportunity to bet golf if you're able to understand. This isn't necessarily about predicting the future. It's about putting yourself in a position to be able to take some money back. It's not only the futures, but I, I know a lot of people that do well, Tom, betting the individual matchups that they, they lay out, not even for the tournament, but you can go round by round. So after round one, they reset them and they have different matchups for round two, round three, et cetera. So also uh, plenty, plenty of room there that you can make money if you follow the game well enough. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only the matchups, which I, I know, but individual holes today, um, they had Smith and Scheffler over under 70 and a half to shoot a 70 and a half today. So you can go even with hole by hole, uh, day by day. There's a lot to bet on golf. And there's what I like about it is you have opportunities, like I said, to hedge. You have opportunities to kind of pull yourself into a position where you absolutely can turn around and say, okay, well, you know what? I got Smith at 16 to one, but I'll take Scheffler for this hole. And now you, you can't lose. You got a double win sort of thing. That's, that is just beauty when it falls the right way on these big tournaments. It, it has been falling the right way for me specifically. I, I mean, it really has. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm doing it so limited and putting in the research but I think that anybody can. I think that if you follow golf, you're going to be able to pinpoint one, two, three guys that you're going to give yourself a position that, okay, I, I really like him today. So I'm going to take him in individual matchups to take him to shoot under for the holes. I'm going to take him on, on a couple of the back courses. I'm going to take him for the tournament. I mean, you can do things like that. And it's not just to win. You could take, for example, let's just say Tiger Woods. You could take the Tiger Woods to make the cut to shoot under for the day, to finish top 10, to finish top five, to finish top three, to finish number one. I mean, it, it's almost like horse racing where the mixing and matching and the different approaches are all there for the taking, which gives the advantage to the player. Tom, in our last few minutes here, we have the NFL draft coming up to heading to Las Vegas April the 28th through the 30th over on the Las Vegas Strip. And besides the backdrop, besides where we're, we're going to do it at, you know, we, you and I have talked about that this isn't necessarily a draft where the major storyline is what quarterback's going to go in the first couple of picks or, or how many quarterbacks are necessarily one of the top 10 picks. And, and I'm not going to say it's not a star-studded class, Tom, but, but it's not a superstar-driven class, let's put it that way. What are you looking at in, in terms of this draft, you know, because – all the hoopla is going to be around where it's at. But look, there's some quality, quality NFL players here at the top of the draft that we should be talking about. 
Yeah, look, it's not a star quality draft because there aren't great star quality offensive players, but the defense is stacked. I mean, they real it really is. If you look at this, you could be coming out. Um, the, the the cornerback just ran a four three. You could be coming out with a dynamic shutdown corner for the next ten years. You have big time pass rushers. You have middle linebackers. You have a, you have a big time safety in this draft. It's not star studded because we don't have the quarterbacks at the top. It's not star studded because there might not be a running back taken in the first round. It's not star studded because even the wide receivers, none of them are really projected to go in the top ten picks and maybe one or two in the first round. But that, and, and even the offensive linemen aren't great in this draft, but they're solid. What I'm looking at about the NFL draft here, to me, it's very deep. You know, this goes three, four rounds where you're still getting very quality players. And defensively, it's going to help you, which is really interesting because the last couple of drafts that we've had, it has been offensive-minded. Look at the teams that are drafting early. You know, they have Trevor Lawrence. They have their, their new quarterback ready to go. They have their new offense pretty set. So now all of a sudden, we sit back and we go, okay, with a new quarterback and a new offense ready to go, we need to address the other side of the field. It kind of works out perfect for teams like that, for teams that are invested in their young quarterback and they got to go for the defensive side. Well, here's a defensive and a top-heavy defensive draft. I'm interested to see the – look, Jacksonville drafts first, right, Tom? We know – Hutchinson's the guy, right? Have you heard anything different? Is it moving the needle anywhere? Isn't he the number one guy? Yeah, he, pretty much. He's as as secure going number one as I could possibly uh, <laughs> as I could possibly see. You know, I go by other people that are smarter than me with the NFL draft, and it seems like everybody is just saying, "Okay, so Hutchinson's the guy," w- without really a second, you know, pick here. I, I mean, you look at it and you say. Can I, can I squint real hard and imagine that you know maybe uh, somebody trades up? Can I imagine that somebody goes out there and says, you know, I think that Evan Neal is the guy that I really want, you know, an, an offensive lineman. Can I see somebody kind of jumping up and trying to grab a Kenny Pickett? Uh, maybe. I mean, maybe. I just don't think so. I, it doesn't seem to me that that that's going to be the case. What about the what about the Raiders, Tommy? Yeah, you know, lots of changes with the team in the offseason, coaching staff, GM, and the backdrop of not only the draft here with Devontae Adams. You know, for, for me, it, it's this draft is very much where it's at, not not who who's where, and I think it's more of a I don't want to say a party situation, but that's kind of how I'm looking at it, right, Tommy? It's it's a party destination for a draft with no huge, huge stars. Yeah, it's very strange. I'm looking at the Vegas situation and no one's talking about it. I, I, I'm pumped up for it, you know, and no one's talking about the draft. No one's getting involved. I, do, I haven't seen one commercial for it. I haven't seen anybody promote Vegas is going to be the place. I mean, me and you were talking just a couple of days ago and we're like, we don't even know where the draft parties are. We don't even know where uh, this is going to kind of be taking place. Where, where is it all going to be? I mean, the lack of, I, I, I don't know, push is alarming. Look, New York did the draft for years, and I live in the city. 
I will tell you, it was in your face at all times in New York when they just did the draft you know, a couple of years ago when it was outside of New York. The draft was the biggest story for months leading up to it. Maybe it's because Vegas has so much going on. And maybe it's because, you know, the Knights are kind of fighting for a playoff spot. And maybe it's because of the offseason where they got Devontae Adams. But what it seems to me, Tim, is that it's just the city is lacking the push of the NFL draft. Um, And and it could be, you know, all these outside factors. You know, you have other mayors in your city calling your city gross and uh, tacky. So, I mean, it's distraction kind of stuff that maybe other cities don't have to deal with, but I live in New York. I could tell you, New York, it was front and center everywhere you looked. It was draft central for months leading up. I remember going to see the tree in Manhattan in you know the middle of Times Square and having giant billboards of the draft is coming, the draft is here. You know, I remember Harrington on the giant billboard in the middle of Times Square. Joey Harrington, I mean, way back when, they – Everybody gets crazy about the draft. I just don't feel like that with Vegas. It's a weird experience. And maybe it's because there is no giant star name. Yeah. Well, see, we're a few weeks away from that. Starts on Thursday night, August, or it's April the 28th, running through Saturday the 30th here in Las Vegas. And just to close it out, Tom, sad news Dwayne Haskins, uh, terrible, terrible situation as he is no longer with us. Yeah, Dwayne Haskins is a guy, 24 years old. Um, I think the last thing that we could say about Dwayne Haskins here is that uh, the outpouring of people just going, you know what? He was trying to to be a better person um, on the field. He was working hard. He was putting the work in. And off the field, it made everybody smile, made everybody happy, right? I mean, we're going to remember him strictly for sports because that's what we do. This is our business, right? We, we look at sports. And all I could ever remember is that, Ohio State used to be a running team. Ohio State used to be a team that ran the ball all the time and played good defense. And then Dwayne Askins came in and they said, oh, we're going to throw the ball all over the yard. And it kind of changed the culture there in Ohio State. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a sad situation. And uh, you're right. The amount of support that has come out since then kind of shows you the character that he was. And uh, truly missed now that he's gone. Tommy, you speak of platforms, though. You are tearing it up. Uh, I don't know what else you can manage to squeeze in in a, in a day's worth of time, but you, you sure as hell keep everything covered with numerous places we can find Tom Barton. Yeah, you guys can go check me out. Uh, i got podcasts going on. Want to bet and wagering week over at SGN. Hashtag SGN Sports Garden Network. Of course, TomBartonSports.com. TomBartonSports.com. Hey, we're off to a, a winning baseball start already. NBA season. Find me somebody better in the NBA this year. You cannot do it. Look at my record. Go to the main page. Go to TomBartonSports.com. It is there. It is documented. I played less than 20 games this year, Tim, but I got three losses. So, I, I mean, can find me a better NBA guy. Jump on board now for less than 100 bucks. You get the entire NBA playoffs, hockey playoffs. You get it all for the next month at TomBartonSports.com. And go check out my YouTube channel. I can always use the views and the likes and the subscribes. It's Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube. Tom Barton Sports. I'm going to start breaking down the NBA playoffs and hockey playoffs in the next couple of weeks over there as well. So you guys could check that out. Good stuff as always, Tom. We will talk to you next week, of course, my man. Have a good one, everybody. For Tom Barton, for Ryan, we have a great sports team. We'll talk to you. Saturday night at 10 o'clock. 
It's Hebrew Sports only on Fox Sports Radio 99 and 1340 AM. Have a good one.